Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Um, if you're like me, and you grew up in a home like I did, um, we um, learned a couple of prayers as we were little kids growing up. And uh, maybe these are familiar to you. Um, one of them was a prayer that we did at bedtime. And, you know, we'd have our jammies on, and we'd kneel by the bed. And, and it would go something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. Okay. You know that one, all right? If I should die before... Why did we put that part of a children's prayer, you know? If I should die before I wake... Okay, you know that one. There was another one we did, um, not quite as often, but it was one we, we did around the dinner table um, from time to time, and it kind of went like this. God is great. God is good. Okay, some of you know that one. Not, not quite as many as the other one. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's God is great, God is good, let us thank him. for the, Or like when we were kids and you know, we were being smart, Alex, and we'd forgotten to pray, it would be, God is good, God is great, thank you for the food we ate. You know, we'd pull that one out. But um, that prayer comes real easy off our tongues when we're sitting in front of a big meal. You know, just a great meal. No Brussels sprouts, none of that kind of stuff. Just a really good meal, you know. And, 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 and there's plenty to eat. And, and everyone around the tables it gets, gets their fill. In fact, there's leftovers. There's enough leftovers that they can be put away and put in the fridge along with a bunch of other leftovers that have been in there like long enough until they start to grow that green fuzz on them so you can actually finally throw them out without being guilty. Okay? That prayer comes real easy off our tongues when everything's good. And there's plenty in the fridge. There's plenty at the table. But what about when the fridge isn't so full? And there isn't quite as much to eat. When the company that you're working for is downsizing and your job is in jeopardy or you've just been told the position's been eliminated. When health issues crop up. When a child is given a life-threatening prognosis. When families are falling apart. Your marriage is breaking up or your spouse walks out the door and says, I just don't love you anymore. When the economy is uncertain, when your health is uncertain, when family is uncertain, when, when your life is uncertain, it's a lot harder to pray God is great, God is good. And I think there are some of us here this morning that are exactly those kind of situations, and you're wondering, because that's the question that comes. Anyone who is a believer in God, when you're in the middle of those things, the question comes, the two questions come, is he really good? Is he really great? Because when life unravels and your plans fall through and your dreams die and and life takes this unexpected nosedive, that's the question that you ask. Those are the things that you you don't understand. And and, and by the way, even if you're an unbeliever, even if you're not sure if you're a believer or what you want to believe, okay, every one of us comes across those times and and even, even if you're an absolute atheist, there is that moment for just maybe a brief moment you say, God, what are you doing? (laughs) Because either he is good but not great, kind of like a kindly, feeble old grandfather who, who likes us but he just can't do anything about our problems. Or he's great but not good. He's got the power, he just doesn't care to do anything about it for us. This whole series we've been going through, God is Great, we've been focusing on this, this, this concept that our understanding and our perceptions of God 
will greatly determine how we relate to him and even how we will live our lives. Because if I don't believe God is great, then I will live in anxiety and fear. I will never take bold steps of faith. I will always look for the safest way out. I won't even bother to pray all that much because I'm not sure if it's really going to make a difference anyway. And if I'm uncertain of his goodness, then I'll never really be able to fully trust him because to trust somebody is to believe they really have your best interest at heart. And if I don't believe he's good... And I have a hard time trusting him. And when life falls apart, those two concepts, God is good, God is great, they seem to be in conflict. For the disciples, all of this kind of came to a head on the last night that Jesus spent with them. They gathered around a table celebrating Passover, a very, very important feast in the life of of, of Jewish um, community. And they would gather around Passover, and it's recorded actually in all four of the Gospels. We're going to look at, Matthew, at uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, if you want to turn there. Um, it gives a kind of a brief account, but what happened when, when everything kind of came crashing down for disciples? Because up to now, everything had been going good. And they gather around, and this is not the first time. This is like the third time they've gathered around this Passover table. But this time, Jesus starts it like this. Verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened. One by one they said to him, Surely not I. Not I, not me, Lord. No, it's not, it can't be me. Not I. Verse 20. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better for him if he had not been born. And then while they were eating, verse 22 says, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The meal comes to a close, and they're on their way to the garden. Pick it up in verse 27. Again, Jesus is talking to them. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Lord, even even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Because because Jesus is announcing stuff that they'd never heard before. Well, he kind of hinted at it along the way, but they've never really fully grasped it. And now as they gather around this table and as they, and they have the conversation, and this is supposed to be a celebration, all of a sudden Jesus is talking about some really heavy stuff. And, and, and it's, not, it's not what we expected. Things are going to turn around. And I think for the disciples at that moment, in that upper room, these two concepts, God is good, God is great, just They don't mix. They're like oil and water. They just don't fit together. How can this stuff be happening? If if God is good and God is great, how can this be allowed to happen? How can it possibly happen? But you see, the Bible underscores over and over again, both of those principles are true. God is good 
And God is great. And all of Jesus' ministry revealed those truths. God is good. And God is great. And, and, and instead of being in conflict, actually what Scripture tells us is they both underscore and support one another. And if you're the kind of person that likes to fill in the blanks and say, okay, now I've got the sermon down, okay, just simple two points for you this morning. God is good in His greatness, and God is great in His goodness. God is good in His greatness, and God is great in His goodness. He's good in His greatness. Now, most people don't have a problem with that one, because that's kind of like, by definition, you know, that's what makes Him God. Because he's great. And, and certainly the disciples for the last three years, they've seen countless evidence of this. I mean, firsthand eyewitnesses. Um, they've, they've listened to him teach and teach in a way like no other rabbi. And the people all around said, who is this man? He speaks like no other teacher. They had heard the greatness of his teaching. They had seen the greatness of his healings. Blind people able to see. Crippled, able to now walk. They had seen him do incredible miracles in nature, that that he walked on water, that he just said the word and waves of a storm calmed down and the rain stopped pouring and the wind stopped blowing. And they said to themselves, who is this man? Even the wind and the sea obey him. See, they had been first-hand eyewitnesses. In fact, they had actually participated in these great miracles of Jesus. They had actually on one occasion, in fact, on two occasions, been a participant in feeding thousands of people with just small crumbs of food. Certainly, certainly, this Jesus is of God because just look at the great things that he does. And in fact, when John the Baptist, who had been the forerunner of Jesus, had had said that this is the one who I've been talking about, his his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Um, and, And then he gets thrown into jail and he's under a death sentence and he's sitting in the jail and he's wondering, wait a minute, did I get this wrong? Because if God is great and this is the great Messiah, why am I sitting here in jail? This isn't what happens to people who are, who are on God's side. In fact, he sends some of his own disciples to ask Jesus, did I get it wrong? Should we expect someone else? And Jesus says, go back and tell him this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, tell John this. Great things are being done. God is doing great things, and these are the endorsements. These are the signs that God is truly great, and God is truly at work. And all the disciples believe that, because they'd seen his greatness. He's great, but in his greatness, is he good? Because, you see, that's the question of pain. That's the problem of pain, and every religion tries to deal with this. Because um, every religion kind of has this, this basic idea that if I do good, good stuff happens. If I live righteously, I reap the benefits and blessings of God. Conversely, if life is going bad, I must have done something wrong. If my life is falling apart, somewhere along the line, I must have sinned. And that is constantly underscored. In fact, even... even um, TV preachers will get up like, like, like after something like the Katrina hurricane and they say, there's God's judgment. God is judging New Orleans for its sinfulness. And, and, and there's an earthquake in Haiti. God is judging Haiti because the Haitians made a deal with the devil. Yeah, that's how we try to explain all this stuff. If bad things happen, it's God's judgment. He might be great, but sometimes he just gets angry. He's not all that good. Just don't make him mad. 
And so when we face these kinds of things, and we're faced with this uncertainty, and it doesn't make sense, and everything about us says, wait, it's all falling apart, we keep asking the question, God, where are you? Because it doesn't make sense to us. No one has ever written the book, Where is God when everything's going good? <laughs> no one wins the lottery and said, Why me, Lord? You know? It's when things go wrong that all of a sudden, where is he? For the disciples, all that they had seen up till now was power and success and popularity. And Jesus is becoming a celebrity and everybody's just running out to see him. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger. In fact, just five days beforehand, he's making his way into Jerusalem. And there's throngs of people, people in front of him, people behind him. And it says in Mark 11, those who follow shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is God's man. This is God among us. This is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Just look at his greatness. And now, just five days later, they're sitting around a table that's a very, very important table. It's a table of the celebration of God's greatest work on behalf of the nation of Israel, bringing them out of their slavery, the Passover, when by faith they slaughtered a lamb and put the blood around the doorsteps, around the doorposts of their homes, so that when the angel of death crossed over and saw the blood, would not strike the firstborn, firstborn in the home. And because of that, Pharaoh let the nation of Israel go. And this is the celebration of that. God has done his greatest work on behalf of our people. And we're sitting around and we're celebrating that. And it's not just a remembrance of the past. It's anticipation of, of greater glory that God is going to bring. And everybody's the disciples, I'm sure, because they know this. They've been celebrating this since, since childhood. And they're sitting around the table saying, finally, it's happening. I mean, just the crowds are growing. They're shouting, Hosanna. Everybody recognizes. And we're right in the middle of it. This is all going good. And Jesus says, it's about to go bad. Very bad. While reclining at the table, eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. One who's eating with me. No. No, Lord, no. Not me. It's not me, is it? In fact, he goes on, verse 27, you will all fall away. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. It, it, you, you're, the, you're, you're the one sent from God. You are God's son. We have followed you. It, when God shows up, everything gets better, not worse. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. Wait, you're from God. God is with you. God is in you. God is showing his power. Among, this is, that's not how the story goes. <laughs> It gets better, not worse. What are you saying? And in their confusion, they just, they don't understand. All of a sudden, everything they believed, everything that they had been thinking, everything they've been planning for and anticipating, it's just kind of, it's all been, the rug's been pulled out from under them. Wait a minute. How can a great God let something like that happen? Maybe he's not as great as we thought. Maybe we've been following the wrong guy. God is great. God is good. He is good in his greatness, and he is great in his goodness. The Apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the Ephesians. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And in a few hours, in a few hours, Jesus is going to demonstrate the great goodness of God. He is about to do that. 
And in preparation, as they gather around the table, he wants them to understand what's about to happen. And it's a familiar meal with all kinds of very familiar settings, things they have celebrated from childhood. But they take on new meaning. Which, which by the way, if, you, if you're interested in a Northgate U class, Christ and the Passover, if you want to see the depth of meaning that is there, that, I highly recommend that class. I think you can still get in on side note. He's gathered around with them. <laughs> and, and, and here's something that has all this meaning to it. And, and he does something even more. He says, you, you, this is a familiar act to you. You know what this represents. But I'm telling you, it's, it represents something more. And while they were eating, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup. Gave thanks and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. But God is doing something new here. And, and it doesn't make sense. And things are going to get worse before they get better. But here's the thing I want you to know. As I was with ancient Israel thousands of years ago, bringing them out of their slavery, so I'm about to do another great act but it's not the way you think. God is not going to demonstrate his greatness in an overwhelming power and, and coming in anger and lightning and thunder and all of that stuff. What he's going to do is show a different type of greatness. A greatness that they've never seen before. A greatness that uses power to absorb the full brunt of sin. That the greatness that that Jesus is about to show them is a greatness that he wants them to understand. You will never have to question my love and my goodness to you again because I'm using my greatness in this way. Tim Keller writes about it in his book, The Reason for God. Let me read a little bit to you. It says, Jesus knew what it was like literally to be under the lash and to refuse to be cowed by those in power and to pay for it with his life. The cross means that the world's glorification of power, might, and status is exposed and defeated. On the cross, Christ wins through losing, triumphs through defeat, achieves power through weakness and service, comes to wealth by giving it all away. Jesus Christ turns the values of the world upside down. As N.T. Wright says, The real enemy, after all, was not Rome but the powers of evil that stood behind human arrogance and violence. On the cross, the kingdom of God triumphed over the kingdoms of this world by refusing to join in their spiral of violence. On the cross, Jesus would love his enemies, turn the other cheek, go the second mile. It was a power that no one had ever thought of before. No one had ever seen before. It was his great goodness being worked out. And Jesus abolished once for all the notion we get what we pay for. Jesus once for all said, no, there's another way. Our pain, our suffering, our confusion, our uncertainty, all that stuff that we go through in life, it makes us cry out and question, God, how can you be good and how can you be great and allowing this to happen to me? Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And what Jesus is saying, no, but I'm making them right now. And you're going to continue to experience pain. Things might get worse before it gets better, but it is going to get better. 
It doesn't make sense. There's no evidence, and it's, there's a lot of uncertainty about it. But here's the thing you can rely on. As I was with you in person, I am with you now. This is my body. This is my blood. You are now part of me. And I am now in you. And when it doesn't make sense, and you can't believe that God could be good and great in allowing this to happen, he's saying, listen, I know your pain better than you can understand it yourself. And I'm still good. And I'm still great. I think if we could ask the disciples, what was their darkest hour? When did things really become the worst ever for you? I think if we go back and say, it started that night. As we sat around the table and Jesus began to explain what was going on. That had to be the darkest days in our life. And then to watch it unfold in front of our eyes just the way that he said. That was just the beginning of the darkest moments of our life. And I bet if you were to ask them, when did he do his greatest work? When did God show his greatest power? Was it, was it when he healed the blind man and made him see? Was it, was it when he walked on the water? Was it, was it when he raised Lazarus from the dead? I think every one of them would say, it was in the very same moment when it looked like our darkest hour. God was doing his greatest work. And his story is our story. And their story is our story. Because every one of us in this room have or will or are right now in one of those kind of situations where you've wondered, is God good? Is God great? I've had my own experiences. Some of them so overwhelming. Um, Some of them just so painful. In fact, one in particular, just at a point in my life in ministry um, that things have become so bad that I, I, and and I'm, it's embarrassing to admit. But in essence, I said to God, shaking my puny little fist, if this is the way you treat the people who want to follow and serve you with their life, then you can have it. I'm done with this. And I'm so glad. (laughs) That we serve a gracious God that puts up with our little two-year-old temper tantrums and says, I know, I know, it's bad right now, but I'm doing something good. And maybe that describes you. Maybe this morning, it's bad right now. And and in fact, it doesn't look like it's going to get good for a long, long time. But in the same way 2,000 years ago, Jesus with his disciples said, I'm with you. And it's going to get bad before it gets better. But I'm with you. And I'm doing my greatest work. And in the same way thousands of years before that, he led a nation out of their slavery and captivity in their darkest hour. So he's with you right here and right now. Because the same God thousands of years ago is the same God today. And he does not change. James put it this way. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And I think if the disciples could be here this morning, whatever you're going through, I think they would say, hang on. Even if it's by your fingernails, hang on. Don't give up. Even though there's no evidence to prove it, God is with you. And He will carry you. And He will make good 
out of some of the darkest moments that you're facing right now. We'll never get all the answers in this life. I think ultimately it's because this is not our final home. Through the Apostle John, he was given a vision. It's recorded in the book of Revelation. Chapter 7, verse 16. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.